0: Well, in season four, it's such a blast to catch up with Sam Acho, former defensive end, outside linebacker for nine years in the NFL. Just an absolute stud at the University of Texas, where he won both the Campbell and Werfel Trophy for his exceptional work on and off the field as a student-athlete, as an influencer in the community. You've seen Sam now dive into the media world. You may know his little brother as well, Emmanuel Acho. Sam has decided to join younger brother Emmanuel in the media fold, and you see Sam now all over ESPN covering the NFL and College football, but beyond any of that, the number of times I've run into Sam, just two things just resonate. He's got a joy for life. And he's got a grace and a love for people. And both of those things come from his relationship with Christ, growing up in a Christian home in Texas. Parents were born in Nigeria. His dad is a psychologist, a counselor, a pastor at a church down there in Dallas. And Sam just has a a light and a love for the Lord that resonates in so many ways. And over the course of this conversation, you're going to hear incredible wisdom out of a young 33-year-old man that's raising three kiddos and married and figuring life out. many ways but you're going to hear wisdom about what it means to shepherd well as he got to experience in his upbringing and trying to do in his home now and I love this line and it hit me right where I'm at in life raising my kids and watching them grow up sending them off into into the world as young adults and his line about knowing who I wasn't but having to figure out who I was it's an incredible journey, rich in stories, and rich in so much wisdom. You're Sam Macho. Take me back as early as you want to, to your upbringing there in Texas. Were you, were you born in Dallas, born and raised in Texas?
1: Yeah, bro. You said as early as I want to. So it all started... When I was about two weeks old, you know, the first football <laughs> was in my hand. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really didn't start playing football till. Well, he, a, here's how it started. I would say I remember being a kid and my dad is a mental health professional. So he's a, he's a marriage counselor. He has his Ph.D. in psychology. He does business stuff, you know, both here in the United States and in Nigeria. My parents were both born and raised in Nigeria. And he also as a pastor. He's a pastor. And so we would go to church on Sundays and then we would finish church and we went to you know big church in in uh in Dallas, uh, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship Church, right, with Tony Evans, and then my dad soon sooner uh soon after that started his own his own church. But we would finish church on Sunday and my dad like me, he loves to talk, right? Gregarious, all the things. So he'd be talking to all the people and we'd be usually the last people to leave. But then we would come home and turn on the TV and watch football. As soon as we got home from church, mind you, my parents were born and raised in Nigeria, so football for them was was soccer. And I guess when they came here and they got into like the craze of football so they would just love watching football. And so every Sunday after church, we come home <laughs> and watch football. I wouldn't want to watch football. I'd want to like go outside and play or whatever. But the TV would be on and the games would be on, and that was like the, I was born in late '80s, so like the '90s, like the Cowboys were really doing their thing, as you know. So like we were living in Dallas. So it was a great time to be, you know, in Dallas. And so that was kind of our Sundays. And obviously through the week, I went to a private school, uh, an all boys college prep school called St. Mark's School of Texas. It's actually the number one rated school in the nation. Actually, my parents really valued education and I remember being in second grade, taking this test to see if I could get in. I didn't even know about the school. I just took this test and I got into this school and (laughs) apparently it's a super prestigious school, right? I had friends who scored perfect scores on the SAT. One of my friends in fifth grade, he won the Scripps National Spelling Bee. His word was Poco Curante, Um, you know, and like, but that was the thing. Like that was the school we went to during the week. Um, The church we went to on Sundays was a predominantly black church. So like a predominantly white school, predominantly black church. And my parents, as you heard, were born and raised in Nigeria. So it was like this wow. Nigerian household. So pretty uh, you know, different cultures, different kind of things throughout the week. But football was kind of like this, I'm not going to call it a mainstay, but it was something that was a part of kind of what we did, football and faith, if you will, um, and family. And so that was kind of the thing growing up. Now, I didn't play until I was in the sixth grade or so. My younger brother, Emmanuel, he actually played before I did. Football. He played, we both played soccer together, at young age, basketball, but then football, it was a lot of hitting. You know what I mean? And I wasn't the biggest fan of hitting. And, <laughs> and so my brother, my little brother was. He's the guy who's like breaking things in the house. And so he was in fourth grade his first year playing, and I didn't play that year. And I was, you know, I didn't want to hit anybody, nor did I want to get hit. And but he dominated like he fourth grader, his team was the Lions, which unfortunately they were bad then. They're still bad now, but uh, both in Little League and in real life. And but he was dominating. He'd score like five and six touchdowns. Every time he touched the ball, he was playing running back and linebacker. He would score. And I was like, man, that'd be fun. I'd love to do that. So the next year I went, and I tried out for football and I was a bigger kid and I was so big that the rules wouldn't allow me. The rules only allowed for me to play offensive line. <clears throat> Which, and you're laughing, which you should be, because if there's any, if the worst position in football is offensive line, you get no credit and you get all the blame. If you have a perfect game, they will never call your name. If you make one mistake, you will get a penalty, you will get a spotlight, and it was just bad. So that was my first experience playing football. By the grace of God, my second year playing, seventh grade, I played for my school. The year before it was like a YMCA kind of league. I got a chance to play defense, and that was when. The, the love of football really began for me. I remember being in seventh or eighth grade, you know, running around campus one time at our school and saying, I love sacks. And people were like, whoa, chill. I was like, no, no, sax, like getting a sack on the quarterback. I love sacks." And so uh, but that was kind of where the love affair for football and, um. and I kind of began.
0: Well, you mentioned a name there, and and I'm curious the influence he may have had on your dad as your dad then went out and planted. He's a name that I'm pretty familiar with, that I think a lot of folks in the Christian ministry are familiar with, and that's Dr. Tony Evans, and the impact that he has had on so many lives. Uh, People that have been on this podcast, the Above and Beyond podcast, the influence and the seeds that he planted in their lives. How influential, impactful um, Sam was he with with your dad in your home? And then, as you mentioned, your dad was a, and he is a, a psychologist and and a mental health um professional and a marriage counselor is he still a pastor your dad
1: yeah he is yeah my dad actually started he so he left uh he was with help kind of help tony evans kind of plant that church they were meeting in his garage initially and my dad came came in town i think they had just bought the building and so my dad kind of came and really helped that church grow he was leading the the like the counseling ministry there, right? Mm-hmm. The family ministry there, and so right, really helped it grow. Any issues people had, they would go talk to you know, hey, talk to Doctor Acho. That was like the thing, you know. Yeah, God gave him a gift, and so, so yeah, he helped that grow. And then about after being there for fifteen, maybe twenty years or so, um, he felt called to go start his own church. So now he mm-hmm. started a church, Living Hope Bible Fellowship, in Dallas. He started that church about fifteen or seventeen years ago, and so that he still pastors now. He has that church uh, in 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 Dallas and still does the psychology stuff. So we still is a marriage counselor for a ton of people, pro athletes and, and all the people.
0: So tell me about growing up in all boys school, uh, as as you said, and and any reference there, uh, a highly esteemed academic, incredible school down there in Dallas. I think many folks know your little brother uh, Emmanuel as well, and you two are kind of the Dr. Ochoas of sports right now, (laughs) as you're at ESPN, and he's doing his thing over at Fox. Tell me about uh, tell me about the word, man. Tell me about the truth. You know, being a pastor's son, uh, what was what that was like in your home, and and um, the impact and influence it had on your heart sam
1: yeah well the coolest thing for me brock was just it wasn't the fact that i was a the son of a pastor it was the fact that i lived in a home where people love jesus like mom and dad loved jesus so dad sure pastored a church um but it wasn't just on sundays right like he he shepherded his family really well Uh, my mom as well right like she really like like on every saturday morning you know we would have our kind of devotional time as a family all we had two older shish, older sisters as well so it'd be the six of us we'd sing we'd pray we worship god in the mornings right and then even during the week we'd get up and we would pray in the mornings like we'd worship god in the every day no matter what and so and before bed we'd all would pray together and so it was this thing where it was like it wasn't just hey i go to church on sundays i'm a christian like we live we i had a great example from my mom and dad of like what it means to really follow jesus and even they came from nigeria mind you They they were born and raised in uh, A developing country, and so didn't have a lot, and so like faith there is different than faith here. Here it's like, oh, okay, I'm a Christian, or I go to church. It's kind of the popular, cool thing to do. There, when my dad first said he was going to go into the ministry, people thought he was crazy. They're like, dude, what are you doing? We don't have any money. You know what I mean? Like, we need go get a job. And he's like, I want to tell people about Jesus. And I was like, Nah, dude, get a job. Um, mm-hmm. But crazy enough, God calling him to the ministry is what opened the door for him to come to America. Right, like even he—he he was. There were some missionaries uh, who kind of work, I guess, from America came to Nigeria, and somehow they connected. And and my dad was in America. They wanted him to come and teach and to preach and all these things. And so, like, your gift will make a, make room for you. And so, um, yeah, like for us, it was really ingrained at a young age of like God will supply all your needs, mm-hmm. no matter what those needs are, whether it's um, like health um right whether it's just like some people it's like well god doesn't care about football you know but it's like dude god cares about me you know what i mean and if i'm playing yeah. football he cares about things that i'm doing yeah right? oh god doesn't care about you know if i get it whatever it's like no dude god actually loves me and he wants to know me and he like even through the beginning since the beginning of time go to go to genesis like so much of of genesis is god saying dude i want it i want community i want relationship i want you you know what i mean i want you even. Um. You know, with Abraham, with Abraham before they before you know, God changed his name to Abraham. It was like, hey, I'm going to make you like a great nation. Like, I'm going to make you like you're going to you're going to be great. And I'm going to show compassion to you and kindness. Right. And Abraham believed in him. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's this idea of like, oh, wow, like God cares about me. And if there are things that I care about, maybe he cares about them, too.
0: I know, uh, Sam. Uh, through the years of doing this podcast, that there's just all sorts of different folks that listen to it and find encouragement in unique ways, and and I love doing this and utilizing this media because it's really just. And we pray before we began. It's really God's platform, and each of these takes a life of their own. And the words keep resonating in my head. Is is you reference there something that? I don't think I'd heard before, but I know in talking to a lot of moms and dads in parenting today, and you said shepherding, right? You didn't say parenting, oh, the way my parents, you know, led us or how they were parenting. You use a pretty powerful word right there. And that was, hey, amen. We had an opportunity to watch my dad and my mom, my mom shepherding us in our home. Talk about the impact and influence of that now that you are shepherding three kids at what, six, almost five, as we tape this, and, and three. Tell me about the impacts. I know a lot of moms and dads and young parents, like, how do I do this? How do I parent well in this day and age? And what does that look like in a God way to glorify God through my parenting? Or as you said, and I love that beautiful word, shepherding.
1: Well, I mean, it's when you think about a shepherd, a shepherd takes care of sheep. A shepherd has a flock. And a shepherd takes care of sheep. And not all sheep are the same. Some are, you know, more stubborn than others. Some are more hard-headed than others. Some need different ways of being led or guided. And so I saw that with my parents, right? Like, not all kids are the same. And I see that with my kids. All my kids, we got three of them. And they all have different personalities, different, um, you know, tendencies, all these kinds of things. And so when I say shepherding, I just have this kind of, this picture of, us getting out of line, and then whether it was calmly or directly, whether it was aggressively or more in a chill way, getting us back where we were supposed to go. It's almost like God kind of had the plan and the vision, whether he gave that to my dad and kind of dad implemented that, but my parents' job was to get us where we needed to go in the way we needed to get there. Not every sheet needs, uh, you know, I don't know what the people use on, on, on you know, for sheet, but needs to be prodded that much. Some just need to be, you just need to say their name. You need to say their name. And so I saw our parents, my parents do that with me. You know, I love learning. Uh, academics is huge for me. So like, I remember when I was playing football and I got like a C in a class. Um, I, lo- I love playing football as well, right? Remember the beginning, I love getting sacks and you know, on quarterbacks. And so um, I remember I got a C in a class and my dad threatened to take me out of football. And this was like my junior year when I was getting recruited heavily. And so for me, that was all I needed. And it wasn't even a threat. It was more of a promise. Like, yeah, cool. You want to keep on getting C's? We'll set out football for this, this semester. Get your grades up. And I was like, but dad, I got a scholarship to USC. Yep. USC. Take the C out of there and we'll be fine. <laughs> you know, Good, You know, but uh, that was what I needed at the time. And so shepherding, you know, and, and all of us are different. And There are even times, even as I've gotten older, my parents done a great job of just shepherding me and my siblings. And now that I have kids, I'm trying to learn and understand how to do that well.
0: Mm so take me through some of those years take me through the high school years the recruiting years this is the intersection of faith and sports and people love both of those things we know our culture does and and i love as you do getting a chance to share both of those things so walk me through your high school years and then why ultimately you end up being a longhorn not usc not anywhere else why you decide to stay in the state of texas
1: yeah so um uh I never planned on going to play football in college. I remember I was at this highly academic school, you know, the school. I remember I wanted to train to get in better shape and um, I wanted to train to get in better shape and I wanted to go to the weight room at our school and they would close the weight room because they wanted us to study for finals and mind you, like, I was going to be fine in class, but I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm trying to get a scholarship, right? So for me, you know, I, I, I had a coach who went to, I think he used to coach at TCU or SMU or something. Long and short of it is, like, he said, hey, you might be good in college. I said, okay, great. What does that even mean? He said, make a highlight tape. So I had my recruiting, I had, like, a computer science teacher make a highlight tape. And right around that time, my younger brother wanted to go to this football camp at USC, and USC at the time, I was like Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, all those people. Mind you, I didn't really care about football when I was younger. And so didn't know much about USC or anything. I go to this camp, and the and short of it is I got discovered at the camp. And, um, and I, you know, Pete Carroll called me and five other people up to his office and said, it was like the top 300 camp, by the way. It was a top 300 camp, the top 300 players from the state of California. It was an invite-only camp. Um, mind you, we weren't invited. Like we, we just kind of showed up. We we heard about the camp, we saw it online, and we showed up. And uh, they let us in. And I did really well, and and that was kind of the first taste of like, oh, you might have an opportunity to go play in college. And so, um, Coach Carroll called me and four other people up to his office. They didn't offer scholarships on the spot, but they were like, hey, y'all are really, really good. We have another camp coming up in about a month from now. So we're going to see how those kids do. And then we'll be in touch about a scholarship. And I was like, Oh, what? You know what I mean? Cause mind you, like the week or two before I went to a, a, a football camp at Vanderbilt, only because like one of my friend's dad at this prestigious school was like the chancellor or some president of the board of regents or something. And at the Vanderbilt camp, they were like, yeah, hey, you're okay. You've got raw talent. We're not overly impressed. So I was like, all right, cool. Thanks for telling me. I didn't know. And USC is like, dude, you're awesome. And so, um, So they kind of had that conversation. And um, they said, hey, we'll be in touch. I said, okay, great. I'm walking out of the meeting. I'm like, oh, coach, by the way, um, you said you're going to be in touch. In two or three weeks from now, I'll be going to Nigeria to do medical mission work. Every summer, my family goes to Nigeria and we do medical mission work. So I said, if I and there is no service in Nigeria. (laughs) So I said, okay, if I if y'all call me and you said you're calling a couple weeks, if you call and I don't pick up, it's not because I don't like you, it's because I don't have any service. They say, Sam, don't worry, we'll be in touch. Well, two weeks later, in the airport, get a call. USC offers me a scholarship. Wow. And and it was you know, Ken Norton Jr., the recruiting coordinator, and Pete Carroll, the head coach. And um, they say, Sam, we love what we saw. We want to offer you a scholarship, and all we want you to do is to verbally commit and just say, I want to be a Trojan. And I didn't know about the recruiting process, but I wanted to be a, pers- a man of my word. And so uh, I was like, okay, verbally commit, want to be a Trojan. What do you mean? And Ken Norton Jr. is like, okay, here's Coach Carroll. So he gives Pete Carroll the phone, and I'm like, uh, 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 uh. And so we're kind of like doing, like, a little bit of small talk. And finally, Coach Carroll says, hey, Sam, is there anything you'd like to share? Right? Because I'm sure they do these calls all the time, right? I want to be a Trojan. I want to be a Trojan. I want to be a Trojan. And Sam, is there anything you'd like to share? share? And I say, hey, Coach, I would love the opportunity to, to one day consider the potential of maybe being a tr- coach. I got to go, the plane's taking off and I hang up the phone. <laughs> right. So I was like, I, I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't, something in my spirit was like, Hey, don't like, I just didn't feel it, it wasn't sitting right I not to verbally commit. And I hadn't visited anywhere and all these other schools. And so, um, I hang up the phone, we get on the plane and I start freaking out. Cause I'm like, man, what did I do? Did I just make the worst decision in my life? And I'm like freaking out. And, and my dad, mind you, we were on a plane in Nigeria to go and serve to do this medical mission work. My dad's like, dude, just, you know, God's in control, right? Don't worry about it. He, mind you, he wanted me to commit, because he was like, let's commit. It's USC. It's like, what do you mean? But I, I couldn't do it. And um, he's like, God's in control. Mm-hmm. And so we land in Nigeria, and for whatever reason, like all those worries that I had worried about all faded, faded to black, faded away. And We're just there serving, serving people, loving people. Like, you know, we it's a medical mission trip. My my parents started, so we uh, had you know doctors and nurses and surgeons. A medical mission trip: doctors, nurses, surgeons, dentists, ophthalmologists, pharmacists, pediatricians. All these people going and serving people who you know needed help. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like home, right? Didn't think anything about football, nothing. Well, I came back. And mind you, no service because we're in a village in Nigeria and we land back in the States and my phone starts just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. And I looked at a, I had a ton of missed calls and voicemails for numbers I didn't recognize. Well, the one that I saw that I recognized was that high school coach who used to coach at SMU or TCU. And so I click on his. I listen to the voicemail. He says, Sam, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you haven't called me back yet, but call me back as soon as you can. Your whole world is about to change. Well, come to find out uh, all those missed calls and voicemails were from head coaches all across the country. Two things that happened during my time overseas. Number one, schools had found out that USC had offered. And number two, my highlight tape, that highlight tape that that computer science teacher had made for me. I didn't know what a highlight, just a computer <laughs> science teacher, right? <laughs> um had like my gpa on it and like you know <laughs> honor student um you know uh it had gotten put on this recruiting web- website called arrivals and so i came back and all these coaches wanted to offer me scholarships so that's kind of how wow. the recruiting process um happened and i ended up ended up going to texas mind you like every school alabama every school you can think of florida whatever alabama whatever the schools are they were offering me shoe boxes full of letters And the only school that hadn't offered at the time was Texas. And if you'll remember, Texas had just beat USC in the national championship. And I remember the thought went through my mind. It was like, well, maybe I'm good enough for USC, but I'm not good enough for Texas. That was kind of what I was thinking about. And that wasn't the case. What was the case was that Mack Brown, who was a head coach at the time, happened to be on vacation while this happened was happening. And, and, the rule with Coach Brown, at least back then, was you don't call him on his vacation. That's his <laughs> ten days or seven days or whatever he gets. Do not call him. And so finally, we were like, "Well, we're going to go somewhere else." So finally, I guess one of the coaches, assistant coaches, sheepishly called Coach Brown, and Coach Brown says it's better be good. And they said it is. They sent an the highlight tape. He liked it. He said, "Okay, see if you can get schedule a visit." So I visited, and um, unlike a lot of the other schools I had visited. When I went to Texas, two things happened. Number one, I went, it was me and my mom, my dad, and my younger brother. And we walked into his office. And it wasn't just him and this recruiting pitch. It was Coach Brown. It was his wife, Sally, in that meeting room. Um, they knew we were Nigerian. Some of the Nigerian players on the team kind of greeted us as we came in. And that was kind of the first thing, right, the family. Because it's mm-hmm. not about a family atmosphere. And the last thing was uh, he said, Sam, I know that like, you could choose anywhere in the world. And you waited on us, so we're going to wait on you, right? Most most people, we tell them we give them twenty four hours to decide to commit. Um, but for you, we'll wait. And as soon as he said that, I said, "Okay, where do I sign?" You know what I mean? Like, so it was yeah. just this idea of he just was a man of integrity and authenticity, yep. and
0: a man of his word. Was there any part of you that, when Pete said, "Do you have something to share with me?" that you wanted to share, Jesus?
1: <laughs> well, no, not at the time. Not at the time. You know, I was I was seventeen, and. Yeah. No, no, but check me out though, because that's a great point, Brock. Um, I was seventeen, and though my parents though I went to church, I I was more like I didn't know Jesus well. It was more like, well, I don't you know, smoke or I don't drink. So I try to do the right thing. It, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't understand his grace and his compassion. And so it wasn't even a thing of like, let me tell you about Jesus. It was more like I just was scared. I didn't know, you know, now, as I got older, right. Fast forward, I'm skipping a lot. Well, we can kind of get to it. But like, as I got older, I real I got to know Jesus better. And so then whenever opportunities came about with coaches or even with NFL owners, right. Cause I do stuff with NFL players association, negotiating, you know, collective bargaining agreements and all that kind of stuff. I started to share Jesus with coaches or owners or general managers because I knew him better but back then i didn't really know him that well I was okay more like, okay so,
0: oh. so talk to me about that right talk to me because again in the shepherding world and some of this is just the world that i'm living in now um, we're kind of in a crazy place as this episode's being taped of, of our of our oldest going off to college Right. And we've been shepherding her in our home and, and now she's off, you know, a thousand miles away doing her thing, playing basketball and, and watching her, you know, turn into a young adult making decisions and growing. And, and, you know, it's that conversation between all this head knowledge, right? And I've been taught scripture. And I've been brought up in a Christian home and, you know, you hear about a lot of kids and even in our, in my own journey, right? When does that become real? Who are, are those that impact that? What is the, what is the moment? This podcast has had so many amazing testimonies over four years of different athletes and players and across the whole spectrum of how that shifted, right? How that head knowledge or that, that truth they knew become and became heart knowledge and relationship, right? Religion versus relationship. How did that transform in your life? Who were the, you know, who were the, the impact players? What were the moments, uh, Sam, that most shaped that relationship, as you said, with Jesus?
1: Well, for me, it was college. Right. So I 17. Where am I going to go? Decided to go to Texas and I left school. I didn't know who I was, but I knew who I wasn't. But I knew I didn't want to be the guy, you know, going out and partying and all these kind of things. Right. So I knew I knew who I wasn't. By the grace of God, I had a friend in college who helped remind me of who I was. His name was Trevor Walker. He was a walk on quarterback at Texas. Third string, fourth string, whatever. Walked on. And I I saw him outside of the dorm one day, like the biggest dorm in, in, on campus, right? 50,000 student campus. And he was reading his Bible, like outside the elevator, unashamed. And I kind of like was walking and I recognized him from the football team. And I don't remember if he called me over or I kind of stood by him or whatever. And I was almost like, dude, how are you just not ashamed of doing this? you know and he was like dude well, I'm like I'm trying to live this thing out so let me know if you want to join in and I was like yeah let's do it and so it was me and it was him and then there were some other guys on the team and we started kind of just saying what if we could like what would it look like to follow Jesus on campus on the football team as UT athletes as what like what would that actually look like and we started kind of living it out we had this really cool community of like players and you know, some people on the team, some people not on the team, like, um, like we would do Bible studies together, we would, you know, we would have, like, you know, I forgot what we called them, but, like, we'd go to, we'd do parties, but, like, clean, if you, I don't know what you call them, but, like, we'd <laughs> hang out and kick it, have fun, but we weren't doing what everybody else was doing, you know what I mean? Like, It's called a Holy Ghost party, thing. okay? A Holy Ghost, right, Ain't exactly. no party
0: like a Holy Ghost party, because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Don't
1: stop, <laughs> facts. Uh, and so, and, and so, like, It was just really cool to have that community. Granted, none of us were perfect, right? We made a ton of mistakes and still try to figure it out and all those kinds of things. But it was really Trevor who who said, hey, let's live this thing out. Hmm. And I ran into him outside of the Jester dorm on the third floor on campus. And he had his Bible out and the rest was history.
0: And that was the beginning of really shaping. I love that picture there. I don't think I've heard it framed that way. It is very common in the NFL. Right. Even even I think college players, the elite college programs, but certainly the NFL, Sam, you have to figure out what you don't do. Right. There's an ego. I can do everything and run through. No, no. What do you not do well? And then let's focus actually one of Pete's, I think, great strengths through his run in Seattle. Let's highlight what guys can do. So is that relationship with Christ grew as you learned more and more of who you were? How did that shape your college years? And then ultimately, as you get drafted into the NFL?
1: Yeah, well, I just knew I wanted to play for God's glory, right? And I remember having this arm sleeve that I put, um, burnt orange arm sleeve. Right, we had our white jerseys or burnt orange jerseys and white pants, black shoes. And I, I wasn't a big access accessory person, right? Some people got all the armbands or the you know sleeve, whatever. But I had that one, and just on my arm, and I wrote, I wrote on it the number four. And then with the end of the four, I put an H, So like for his or his glory. Mm. And I had that on my left hand. So every time I put my hand in, I was a right defensive end. So every time I put my hand in the dirt, I would look at that. And it reminded me that I was playing for God's glory. Uh, Even as I played football, um, I said, okay, there's got to be a way to, you know, because we played on Saturdays. Oftentimes with that group I told you about, we would go to church on Sunday mornings, but we'd have practice on Sundays and NFL you play on Sunday. So it's like, we got to go to church on Sunday. There might be some Sundays. I'm not going to go to church. How do I worship God with Mm -hmm. what I'm doing with who I am? And so like, I started understanding that football could be a form of worship to God, like using God gifts, using the gifts God gave me, um, on the football field. And so that's kind of what I tried to do as I played on the field and also off the field. Just remembering that, um, that this is all for God's glory.
0: Giving God the glory, right? You, you did it with a, with an armband. You did it collegiately. You did it in your home state, people that loved you and your family. And ultimately your brother comes and joins you at Texas. And then you move into the big bad world of the NFL, right? And you get drafted and Bruce Arians is there in Arizona. You play four years there, four in Chicago, another year with Bruce down in Tampa. Walk me through giving God the glory in that NFL locker room. As an NFL linebacker, D end, what did that look like?
1: It was easy, but it was hard. It was easy, but it was hard. Um, when you follow Jesus, you stand out and you look different. And so it's easy in that way because people know and you know who you are and who you're not. Um, but it's also hard because you stand out and you're different and people know and you know who you are and who you're not and so the easy part was that i didn't have to pretend nor did i want to pretend Mm -hmm. like the bible's real clear train up a child in the way he should go and when he gets old he won't depart from it you talked about your kids right like going off to college you've trained them up the way they should go so when they get old they don't depart from it it's like the apple doesn't fall far fall far from the tree um it's just the way it works So I knew who I was, which was the easy part. But it was difficult because I was in this world where people didn't get me. (laughs) Right. If I ever got upset at a practice, mind you, this is football, big, bad NFL. If I get mad, people will will say, well, Sam, you're a Christian. Christians aren't supposed to get mad. Is is that that a curse word I just heard? Right. Like, that's what it was. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, I don't know. I didn't. I, I thought I did. Am I, can I get my. No, I, I didn't know. I didn't know because people hadn't seen a follower of Jesus who was a fierce competitor, who wanted to love people well, but who would dominate you on a football field. They didn't, it didn't compute. But that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Right? Fierce competitor. I'm gonna love you well, love people well, but I will dominate you when given the opportunity. Um, and so like <laughs> And that's how God wired me, mm. and so um, it took a while for people to really get that, and it took some consistency, right? I can't be the guy doing a Bible study on Wednesday, then on Thursday and Friday I'm out in the club. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. That you know, but that's what they were used to. Like they were used to, like you know, go out every day and party, smoke, drink, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, and then before the game on Sunday, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done. Like that was that was the NFL, and that was just was not me. And so as God continued to show me who I was, right, not perfect, but like made mistakes, but was open and authentic and real and vulnerable with guys, Um, guys started to become more attracted to me and say, well, Sam, how how? Mm. and why and can you help me? So that was what it became. And so you know, it's funny, one of my teammates, his name was Ronald Talley. He was my teammate in Arizona. He's from Detroit. He has a real, a real deep, deep, you know, hey, what up, Acho? Like, I'm from deep, deep voice. And uh, he would call me, he would call me Bebo. Bebo, Bebo. And I'm like, bro, why do you call me Bebo? He said, hey, you know, you you're the black Tim Tebow, right? Bebo, right? So, like, the black Tim, but it was like, that's what it became. Like, the, like you're like, you the black Tim Tebow, but it's not even that, but it was like, dude, you're actually like real yeah like you love Jesus, you're not ashamed about it like you're not just gonna pray before a, a a game or a practice like you're gonna be open with your faults your failures with you're gonna you're gonna pray for people you're gonna like let people see you let the world see you like the real you um and you're gonna help me grow as well and you're and you're gonna compete you're gonna help mm-hmm. our team win mm-hmm. and so that was kind of how that took place people have a misconception of Christ- being a follower of Jesus where they think, okay, well, you know, he's got to kind of be nice and soft and just kind of wave. And it's like, no, dude, like, if you looked at how Jesus talked with some certain people, like, let, like go read Mark. Look how he addresses some of the Pharisees and, like, the Sadducees. And like, he'd be calling people out to their face. You know what I mean? To their face, you know? <laughs> think about Deontay Wilder. He said, to this day, to this day, right? He calls people <laughs> out. Right. And we all know about the story of Jesus flipping tables. Like, Jesus yeah. was very fierce. He was a lion, but he was also a lamb. And that's something I'm trying to teach my youngest because he's he's just a, he just loves messing things up, like breaking things, <laughs> you know what I mean? And tackling people. And he's three. And it's like, hey, dude, there's a time for the lion and there's a time for the lamb. Mm. And I think as I learn that more, I can help teach him that more better, whether as athletes, as parents. Like, there's a time for us to be lions. There's a time for us to be lambs as well, and I think that's what I'm. That's what I'm learning.
0: Is the lion coming down the stairs right now? I think
1: the lion is coming down the (laughs) stairs right now. That's so Um, good. And uh, he said, "Hey, Dad, come come on, man."
0: come on dad you're you're busy all the time i'm a last last thing along those lines is and this is a beautiful picture and i wish you all could see this right now (laughs) sam is at home and we're watching sam on espn he's there every weekend he's breaking down the nfl now that that door the nfl closed and this whole media world and you've written an awesome book and and you're involved in ministry three young kids oh my gosh life is so busy for you sam So take me through how Sam Macho, in this world you find yourself in now, in that home with the young kids, in this media world at ESPN, how are you glorifying God now? You don't got that armband, right? You're not looking at your hand in the dirt. Now you're in a a business world, um, on a media campus, raising those three beautiful kids in your own home. What's the charge for Sam Macho to glorify God now?
1: Yeah, I'm learning. If I'm being honest, Brock, I'm learning every day. I've been at ESPN for three months, right? That's been new. Um, I just wrote a book. Actually, it came out about a year ago, right around a year ago. Just celebrated the year anniversary of Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes." My book just came out. Um, So, like, that's a piece that people know about me. I've been, you know, sharing those with people on campus. So, there's that. There's, like, hey, we know. People who've read that book, they're like, we know you, so you can't fake and pretend. But also, it's like, I've only been at ESPN for, like, three, four months. You know what I mean? So, I'm learning what do the rhythms look like? What is um how do i love people well on campus right how do i love people well like if i'm on tv like how do i you know what i mean like and it takes you know there's a a kind of last story i uh was on campus a few days ago and i had two hits uh i had like four or five that day but i was in between two hits for sports center and i did the first one and i was kind of like frustrated and a little bit angry and annoyed at, like, people at work and, you know, like, just producers or coworkers or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I was a little bit, like, perturbed. Um, and I remember just being like, like, this is, like, what is going on? Like, what is actually going on? And instead of rushing, like I usually do it from one thing to another, or like, going, I just took some time to to pray. Mm. I took some time to pray.
0: Mm.
1: And um, I was was still mic'd up and had my IFB and all these things, but I just found a different room and I took some time to pray. And there was a song that I heard on at church on Sunday. And it essentially, the the longest short of it is the song said, um, God says, I will praise you on the mountain and I'll praise you when the mountain is in my way. And I feel like in a lot of ways on ESPN, I'm on the mountain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there are a lot of times where I feel like that mountain is in my way. And that was just this reminder of praising God anyways. And um, I started singing right then and there. Mm. was singing, like, in the little room by myself, was singing. And, um, and like, I was watching this group perform. Like, I was watching a YouTube clip. And I remember watching them. I'm like, man, this this group. It was Hillsong United. i said, like, they are excellent. Mm. Like they are just excellent at what they do. And I really felt like the Lord. And I felt like the Lord said, "And you can go be excellent too. You can go be excellent too, mm. right? Think about it. I was about to be on Sports Center. Right? Everybody watches sports. At Twelve o'clock sports. Center, and I'm over here frustrated and complaining. And then God says, No, you go be excellent too. And oh, by the way, go be you." Stop trying to like, oh, let me be the guy with all the stats or the numbers. Just be you. Be you. Right? That's that's what my whole book is about, right? How to be real in a world full of fakes. Like when you're you, God gets the glory. The people around you benefit. The world around you thrives. When you're you pretending and faking, that might get you in the... That's the lion you hear in the background. If you hear this little whining, that's my lion. Um, The faking and the pretending, like that'll open up a few doors, but being you open up doors you could never imagine. Right, so I thought like Laura was like, go be you. And I went and I was me, and like it was the best hit I've ever done. You know what I mean? One of the, you know what I mean? I was you know, like I was talking about my to my Arizona card. Air Cardinals are five and oh or six and o, whatever. And I'm like, guys, y'all don't get a lot of love on social on, on media right now, but like don't worry, chill, like you're gonna be fine, you know? Like I was just being me <laughs> and and on the screen, and even intermittently, right? I remember popping in the bathroom real quick and I said hi. To do in the bathroom, and he was like taken aback, like oh whoa, like you're on TV, you're saying hi to me, a production assistant, like you're, you know my name, like it was like he was like oh wow, thank you, right? Like at the end of the day, I want to love people well, period. Like when I die at my funeral, I want people to say Sam loved me well, and so I try to live by that. Um, whether I'm on TV at ESPN, whether I'm speaking, uh, wherever I, I do a ton of speaking, so whether I'm going somewhere and speaking, whether I'm writing. Uh, let the world see you or other books, right? I want to love people well. Um, and that includes my family.
0: Well, we love you for taking this time for this podcast, Sam. Uh, can't wait to continue to watch God use you. Uh, some beautiful wisdom in there. You had a beautiful wife and three young kids. Go love on them well, because I know how busy this season is. And thanks for your heart to share, brother.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Brock. Above and beyond the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at AboveAndBeyondPodcast.com.